He who amasses virtues without humility is like a man that carries dust in an open vessel against a strong wind. Uh, This weekend we are focused on the life and the times of St. Joseph. We are investigating the virtues that he practiced. We are looking to him as our model and patron. And we are witnessing to what great lengths he intercedes for us. However, we would not be able to talk about all these great qualities of St. Joseph if his interior life was not grounded in humility. How deeply St. Joseph's humility must have been rooted may be judged from the fact that humility is the basis of all sanctity. Uh, That is, in order to become a saint, you must have humility. And this humility can be measured by his grace and glory. Next to our Blessed Mother, St. Joseph is the greatest saint in heaven. It shines out in his utter utter lack of self-esteem and self-recognition. It shines out in his relations with Jesus and Mary. He knew that our Lord was his creator and redeemer. And that Mary was the true mother of Jesus. Yet he was obliged to be the head of the Holy Family. To command them. And to receive their submission. We can hardly imagine his feeling of humility in seeing the incarnate word reduced almost to the status of a slave. And in hearing Mary call herself his humble servant. It must have taken great humility to be able to assume the role of head of the Holy Family. He was, in men's eyes, the legal father of Mary's child, Christ the Son of God. And he was the divinely selected spouse of the Virgin who had conceived by the overshadowing of the Holy Ghost. St. Joseph was too humble to be overwhelmed by the dignity thus conferred upon him. Like Mary, he pondered these mysteries deep in his heart. And that is all he could do. If you look throughout the whole of the New Testament... There is not one recorded word of St. Joseph that has come down to us. How could the feeble tongue of man give utterance to the thoughts too deep for words, which God's mysterious choice of him evoked? St. Joseph was a good, God-fearing, meek, and humble man. (laughs) 
In this conference, gentlemen, we are going to focus on two virtues closely allied to each other, namely humility and meekness. Here is why this topic is so important. Spiritual writers state, even as St. Gregory the Great mentions that you cannot practice virtue, you cannot practice true virtue, any virtue, unless you first have true humility. Humility is called by the saints the foundation and the safeguard of all virtues. If it is not the most prominent among the virtues, it occupies, according to St. Thomas, the first place as the foundation of the rest. (laughs) <clears throat> it is the cons- in, the, in the construction of the building the basement comes before the walls and the pillars and even if that building has a dome of gold you must have the basement and so it is in the spiritual life humility must precede everything else in order to banish pride to which God is so opposed. Therefore, your practice of virtue would be fruitless and unavailing if it is not backed by sincere humility. The practice of charity, patience, kindness, affability, generosity all of these are useless they avail you nothing in the eyes of God unless you have the foundation virtue of humility in other words God looks at your heart he looks at your heart to know your true motive in practicing all the other virtues Could you imagine that? Could you imagine the waste of time and spiritual effort in attempting to practice virtue if it was backed by the wrong motive? So you may be asking in your minds, do you mean to say that it's possible that this charitable cause that I have been contributing to my generosity may not be gaining spiritual profit for my soul? And the answer could be yes. If your motive in helping is so that you could be seen by others or to gain praise, then know you're not gaining profit. If your motive is, this is someone in need and I have the means to help and that is what I'm going to do, then that's a different story. You have something called purity of intention. It's kind of like that scene from the life of our Lord with the widow who contributes to the temple. She contributes from her poverty whereas the rich and the proud contributed as well but they did so in order to be noticed 
Here is this scene from the life of our Lord, from the Gospel of St. Mark. And Jesus, sitting over against the treasury, beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she cast in two mites, which make a farthing. And calling his disciples together, he saith to them, Amen, I say to you, this poor woman hath cast in more than all they who have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want cast in all she had, even her whole living. Our Lord praised her good deed, for she was humble. She had purity of heart. Humility. The Son of God descended from heaven to teach man by word and example the value of humility. And with his send in view, he went so far as to empty himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and in habit found as man. He humbled himself, St. Paul says, even to the death of the cross. His first appearance on earth was in the humble stable of Bethlehem. The greater portion of his mortal life was spent in humble retirement at Nazareth. He departed this life humbled and despised on the summit of Mount Calvary. And he calls out to each one of us, I have given you an example that as I have done, so you do also. By this he means to say, my dear children, I have endured all this humiliation and contempt that you may follow my example. With regard to the humility of Jesus Christ, St. Augustine says, if this medicine does not cure us of pride, I know not what other remedy can do so. So now let me briefly point out what humility and meekness are and then we will analyze them in a more detailed fashion and by the end of this conference I hope we can perform a little self-examination I'm going to actually give you some questions that you can ask yourself on different points of these virtues Here is a general overview of the two virtues we will visit in this conference. Humility is the virtue which governs our relationship with God. Whereas meekness is the virtue which governs our relationship with our fellow men. Humility has to do with God. Meekness has to do with our neighbor.
Humility is the moral virtue which disposes us to appreciate and acknowledge or to give external expression by our worship to appreciate and acknowledge our true position with respect to God and our fellow men. Admitting that we are who we are and what we are with a sincere heart and acknowledging our relationship with God. Our Lord often praised and recommended humility. He said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He said, if any man wishes to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Our Lord always answers the prayers of the humble, as of the centurion. Remember that scene from the life of our Lord when our Lord entered into Capernaum? There came to him a centurion beseeching him. And saying to him, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy and is grievously tormented. And Jesus saith to him, I will come and heal him. And a centurion making answer said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof. But only say the word and my servant shall be healed. And he goes on to say, for I am a man subject to authority. I have under me soldiers, and I say to this, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And Jesus, hearing this, marveled, and he said to them that followed him, Amen, I say to you, I have not found so great faith in Israel. The Roman centurion goes to our Lord who is a Jew. And by the way, they both hated each other. This Roman centurion has a servant who is grievously tormented with the palsy. And he confidently and humbly beseeches our Lord. He beseeches him to heal his servant even at a distance. He says, I am not worthy that you should come into my home. Simply say the word and he shall be healed. The confidence of this pagan is thus rewarded and praised by our Lord. Our Lord says, I have not found so great faith in all of Israel. Confidence which stood on the solid foundation of humility. The humble man acknowledges God as the source of all the excellent things he may possess. He recognizes his limitations, his own nothingness, and the uselessness of all earthly things without God. Compared to God, what are we? All things pass away 
Only God is eternal. These simple truths will help us keep humble. Without God, we are nothing. As I mentioned, the humble man knows that earthly things are of value only if they lead us to God. His detachment from all worldly things actually frees him from all human fear. The humble man has his best model in the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself out of love for men. Learn from me, he said, for I am meek and humble of heart. The Son of God humbled himself when he came down to earth as man. He came as a poor man, in the eyes of the world, the son of a carpenter. His companions were simple fishermen. He associated with the humble, with sinners even. At the Last Supper, he washed the feet of his apostles. He was put to death on the cross, the manner of death then most despised. Our Lord continually urged us to humility, as when he said, He who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. Christ exalted humility as also he did when taking a little child, he said, Whoever therefore humbles himself as this little child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Meekness is a virtue allied to temperance, one of the four cardinal virtues. What it does is it restrains anger when one is offended. And it restrains resentment and the desire for revenge when one is rebuked. They are gentle, mild, and sweetly patient. They are those little concerned to defend themselves against ill treatment, but relying on God's providence rather to protect and to vindicate them. What is it that inflames men to anger and prompts them to revenge? Well, the answer is the sense of being hurt in their pride or in their interests. Being hurt in their pride or their interests. Take away their concern for both of these and all irritation and vindictiveness subsides. Meekness is a moral virtue which disposes us to control anger when offended 
and resentment when rebuked. It is patience between man and man. It's patience in dealing with your fellow men. The patient man keeps calm in the midst of vicissitudes of life. He preserves his cheerfulness for the love of God. The motive is important. If we are calm and patient only because we hope to be admired or because we thereby wish to avoid temporal trouble by indifference, then we do not practice virtue. Virtue is the result of the love of God doing things for His sake because it is His law or it is His desire. Our Lord said, By your patience you will win your souls. Therefore we must endure with serenity all trials, not merely part of them, in order to be truly patient. For instance, some are patient with sickness, but they keep lamenting their being a burden to others on its account. They suffer patiently, but then they're impatient about the fact that others have to look after them. That is a lack of meekness. Some people might be heroic in their suffering, but they are constantly lamenting the fact that they are a burden to others. That is not true meekness. Some are patient with others, but have no patience with themselves. For example, they feel irritated if they fall back into old sins. Such persons are not truly patient and meek. They actually show traces of pride, believing themselves too good to relapse into old sins. The patient and meek man shows no anger when wrong is done to him. He is a peacemaker at heart. Let us keep the peace with all when there is no good reason to break it. This should be our policy. In other words, if in your opinion you think it is cold and dank outside, somebody comes along and says wow what a beautiful day it is the meek thing to do would be to cheerfully agree you don't need to make sure that they understand why they are wrong it's an insignificant matter let it go our Lord is the best example of meekness and patience Did he use his almighty power to punish those who did evil to him? For hours he hung meekly on the cross until he died. 
Every day God is patient with sinners, giving them time to change their ways. The meek man is master of his own self. He has self-control and he will find it easy to control others. He has peace of mind and will attain heaven, the home of the meek of heart. St. Joseph Kalasangsius used to say, If you desire to be holy, be humble. If you desire to be very holy, be very humble. When St. Anthony the Hermit saw the world full of snares for the devil, he cried out, Who can ever escape so many dangers? And he heard a voice say to him, Anthony, Humility alone walks securely. He who goes with head bowed down need not fear to fall into these snares. In a word, if you do not become children, not of course in age, but in humility, We cannot, as our Savior said, enter the kingdom of heaven. Learn of me, he said, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. The proud man has no peace or rest, for he is seldom, if ever, treated in a manner corresponding to the exalted opinion he has of himself. If he is honored, he is dissatisfied that others are honored more than he. There is always a little more honor that he might have had, the absence of which annoys him more than what he has affords him pleasure. St. Jerome says that true honor avoids him who seeks it. He says true honor avoids him who seeks it and seeks him who avoids it. It is like a shadow that follows the one who flees from it and flees from the one who follows it. Having spoken at length on humility and meekness, let us just momentarily review what is an abomination in the sight of God, and that is the opposite of humility, pride. Pride is an inordinate love of one's own excellence, an excessive self-esteem. The proud man really just overestimates himself and believes himself the source of his own excellence. Uh, 
just as humility must be the foundation of all virtue, pride may be called the mother of all vices. For most sins can be traced to it. From pride can arise ambition, vanity, presumption, disobedience, hypocrisy, obstinacy in sin, and so forth. The proud man tries to attract notice and praise, strives after honors, distinctions, and worldly praise and favors. Our Lord even proposed a parable setting side by side humility and pride. Remember the two men that went up into the temple to pray? The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee who standing prayed thus with himself. He said, O God, I give thee thanks that I am not as the rest of men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, as also as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift up his eyes towards heaven, but struck his breast saying, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, Lord said, I say to you, this man went down into his house justified rather than the other because Everyone that exalteth himself shall be humbled, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Thus you can see how closely our Lord holds the virtue of humility to his heart, and how repulsive pride is in his eyes. Humility is a medicinal virtue. It is the remedy of pride. And pride has its various forms and its various degrees. As I mentioned, it leads men to think too much of themselves. Humility calls them back to a true sense of what they are. Pride blinds them to their defects. Humility opens their eyes to them. Pride makes men imperious, contemptuous, arrogant. Humility makes them modest. Pride causes the merits of others to be overlooked. Humility keeps the mind alive to them and gives full credit to those who possess them. Pride with all its lofty airs is mean enough to seek more consideration than it deserves. Humility is honest and will no more have the good opinion of others than their money beyond what is their right to have. 
So with everything we have discussed thus far with humility and meekness, I found something rather interesting concerning humility that one author explains. Uh, He kind of describes the science behind the practice of the virtue. I'm kind of the person that likes to know or at least I'm curious of how things work this author actually explains how the virtue of humility works the science behind it and he says there are two kinds of humility humility of the mind by which we know ourselves and our own misery humility of the mind Then there is humility of the heart by which we practice what humility of the mind teaches us. In other words, what he's saying is that humility of the mind is not the virtue of humility. Because it is only speculative. It's it's just a knowledge of our true misery. But he says that it is an indispensable condition of the humility of the heart, which is the virtue of humility. I just want to give you a little analogy to describe what is going on here, just to make it a little bit easier to understand. And I know this analogy limps, but I think it will be helpful. You ever see uh, a little boy who is reprimanded by his parents because he hit his little sister? Well, that little boy might say, I'm sorry. It won't happen again. He might even say, I was wrong and I should not have done that. Well, here's where the analogy is going to limp a little in a certain sense, he has a knowledge that what he did was wrong. Speculatively speaking, he understands. However, what might drive him to say and admit that he was wrong is his passions. The passion of fear of punishment might induce any boy to say, I'm sorry. But not two days later, he commits the same act. He says the same thing, acknowledges that he did wrong. This time it can be chalked up to human frailty. He receives the proper punishment and so on. Two days later, same thing. The regular routine. He hits his sister, his sister cries, he gets in trouble, he says he's sorry. He has a knowledge that what he did was wrong. But he does not yet have the change of heart. He did not put the knowledge into practice. It's the same thing with humility. 
you have to have this knowledge first of your own lowliness and your relationship to God and then act accordingly. Before we move on, I want to give you a little motivation, if you will, to spur you on to take this conference to digest it and to be sincere in your estimation of your practice of virtue. In other words, to, to take stock in your spiritual life and to form a solid conviction, a determination to do better. We can always improve. That's why you're on retreat. You want to improve your relationship with God. We are all here to become saints. The only way we can become saints is by the practice of virtue. And by the end of our days, we will want to have the same comfort level about our having loved God as the woman in a video clip I'm about to show you. The video actually needs a little explaining first. Uh, This woman is someone actually visited in a hospital a couple of years ago. She was very sick and elderly, and she asked for a priest, and this hospital contacted me. Her name was Carolyn. And at the time, I would say about two or three years ago, she was 92 years old. And I may have showed this video to some of you, but I'm sure for most of you, this will be the first time to see it. It is one of my favorite and most inspiring stories I've come across during my priesthood. So when I walked into this room of uh, Carolyn, She was very gracious, very kind, accommodating. The very first thing she said to me was, Oh, Father, please turn on the light. She was thoughtful and considerate of me, which is a true sign of meekness. Within a few minutes, I determined that this elderly woman was also a very saintly woman. As a matter of fact, I was so impressed with her simplicity and her love of God that I asked her if I could actually interview her. And she cheerfully said, of course. And so I'm going to play for you a video clip from our conversation. At the beginning of the clip, she is referring to uh, going to church in the rain. She grew up in Brooklyn, and she had to walk a few blocks to get to the chapel. Father Klein was her pastor, and he told her, after seeing her completely drenched one day because she had to walk to church in the rain, that she should not come to church in the pouring rain. Of course, he was referring to the weekday masses. Then she talks about the greatest commandments, after which she again refers to Father Klein. 
You notice her admiration when she asked the rhetorical question, isn't that beautiful? That we should love God and also love our neighbor? She was in admiration of that. She was a truly meek and humble soul. So it is possible. We may, we may have some work to do, but it is possible to practice these virtues. I hope and pray that in our final days, we will all be found in the same condition as Carolyn. I hope and pray that we will all have joy in our hearts for having always loved God and our neighbor for the love of God. And that that charity rests on the solid foundation of humility. As I mentioned earlier, we are going to <clears throat> close this conference with a little self-examination. And so here are some practical questions you can ask yourself to determine where you stand in the practice of humility. Have I refused in my heart to forgive a person who has injured me? Have I nursed resentment against others, even though I did make an effort at forgiveness? By the way, I noticed some of you are feverishly writing down these questions. Um, I actually put together a uh, self-examination pamphlet that is right by the front door. So as you leave, you can uh, uh, use these questions to help yourself answer these questions, um, to help yourself determine how well you practice this virtue. But just a couple more questions that I have here. Has my sensitivity caused me to be unfriendly towards others? Have I attributed bad motives to others when I could not be certain of their motives? Have I permitted gossip and petty tailbearing to go on in my presence without making an effort to change the subject? Am I a chronic complainer by habitually looking for flaws and pointing them out to others? Have I measured my charity only by what others gave or by what I might receive in return instead of my ability to give and by the need of others? Have I demanded publicity and praise for my almsgiving? Have I hurt others by my flare-ups of anger and patience? Have I prayed for others, especially when tempted to angry thoughts and feelings? Don't get discouraged if you think you may have violated one or more of these uh, previous questions. There is hope, but there is work to be done. Here are some points that St. Alphonsus gives with regards to the practice of the virtue of humility. <clears throat> he says, to practice humility, we must first entertain a great fear 
of the vice of pride. And then he gives a reason why. He says, for God resists the proud and deprives them of his graces. St. Francis also says not to glory in the good that we do. And I would add that to be humble, a man does not need to belittle his abilities. If you have certain talents, be grateful. God has given you your talents and that you are to use them for good, not to squander them on yourself and fulfill your own ego. The humble man will use his talents for the greater honor and glory of God. The third thing that St. Alphonsus mentions is that we must distrust ourselves. Have confidence in God. Unless God assists us, we shall not be able to, pers- to preserve ourselves in His grace. And lastly, he says to accept humiliations with sincerity. St. Gregory the Great says, Some say with the tongue that they are sinners, that they are wicked, that they are deserving of every species of contempt. Then he goes on to say, But they do not believe what they say, for when despised or they are reproved, by others, they are disturbed. They lose their tranquility and peace of mind. That is a sign of a lack of humility. St. Ambrose says, Many have the appearance of humility, but not the virtue of humility. In order to become humble, let us think often of the majesty and the grandeur of God. The Lord has promised to hear all those who call upon Him. Everyone that asketh receiveth. But to the proud man, God will not listen. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, as St. James says. Yes, God hastens to open his hand and bestow upon the humble what they desire. Lord, give me the treasure of humility, prayed St. Augustine. Humility is called a treasure because the Lord sees to it that the humble abound in good things. May St. Joseph, gentlemen, he who was obliged to be the head of the Holy Family, to command the respect of the Christ child and the mother of God, a great patron of humility and meekness, may he be an inspiration to you to grow daily in these virtues. 
Uh, before we close, I do have one more video clip I think you might be interested in watching. It is the scene from the life of our Lord where, uh, as I mentioned during the conference, our Lord explains to his apostles uh, the humility of the widow who put in her two mites into the treasury. <laughs> 